There was a prophetic word given over Amanda and I many years ago when we were kind of struggling between two different worlds. And, uh, and the Lord said, I've called you to be one whole man with his head in the clouds and her feet on the ground. So since then, I think the Lord has kind of worked that out to where uh, we can experience some of the things that heaven is offering and take the trash out too. So, amen. Second Corinthians 5.14 says, The love of Christ compels us. That was a demonstration of the love of Christ. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You know, the world defines success by the things that you're able to accumulate. And scripture clearly says that our life doesn't consist of, of the things that we have, of our possessions. And uh, the more we are wrapped around accumulating possessions, usually the more driven we become for more because it never quite satisfies. Uh, but when we can actually live for him and for each other, uh, we'll begin to uh, know the real joy, real purpose, real fulfillment in our life because it's no longer primarily about us. And serving ourselves is a miserable way to live. And, uh, you know, I, I love to take teams on the missions field because so many people come back with a touch of something that transforms them for life. Because they have, begun, the first trip, missions trip I ever took to Mexico, I called Amanda and I said, you have no idea how rich we are. You have no idea. I, I never thought, I didn't think we were well off until I went to a place like a mountain village in Mexico and saw a whole family of people living in a hut the size of our bedroom with a single light bulb in the ceiling and a dirt floor. And the bathroom is a stack of tires out in the backyard if you want to call it a yard. We went up into the mountain village of Santa Isabella and, and on the side of a mountain right in the corner where two streets came together, I don't know why, uh, and uh, up on this hill at that intersection was a hut and there was a guy, one of the sons of the family who couldn't walk. He crawled around, pulling himself around with his hands, crawling around the floor. Somebody gave him a boom box so that he could listen to worship music and he was the happiest man on earth because he had something that he could use to worship the Lord all day long, crawling around on the, dirt, on the mud and the dirt. It, 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 when you see some of those things, you become so convicted of how um, everything that we have and yet we can't find joy because it's not enough, you know. And that's kind of the way it tends to be in Western cultures. And so um, I would encourage everyone to do some things like that uh, because it just helps your perspective to become more of a kingdom perspective. It's about Jesus, his kingdom. It's about something bigger than us. 
When we put him first, he takes care of us, our family, our descendants. Uh, He actually makes covenant with us concerning uh, who we are and what's coming after us when we put him in his kingdom first. That's really a picture of what happened to David. Uh, David wanted to build God's house. He had a burden for the house of God because God didn't have a house in David's day. And, uh, and so he told Nathan the prophet, I'm going to build a house for God. And Nathan said, go ahead and do whatever is in your heart to do. And when he, when he left, the Lord said to Nathan, I didn't tell you to say that. I, I don't want David to build a house for me. He's got blood on his hands. His son's going to build my house. But because he wanted to build a house for me, I'm going to build a house for him. And God covenanted with David about his descendants after him. That's what he called David's house. That his house would always endure because he wanted to build God's house. And that's kind of just a picture of the priorities God wants to establish in us. That as we build his house, as we build his kingdom, he prioritizes us. He'll make covenant with us. He'll do things for us and our descendants that we could never do. Uh, when we talk, we talk about having a hundred-year vision or a thousand-year vision... That's what we're talking about. We're talking about establishing a foundation that others can build on long after we're gone. Because the DNA, the quality that's in the foundation will endure generation after generation. 16 says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Well, that's, a, that's quite a statement. That means we don't look at their physical condition that means we don't look at their tribal uh, or their social status or their, how much money they have. We don't regard any of that. We don't, look, we don't measure people by the flesh anymore. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So this is a major stumbling block for many, not knowing each other after the flesh. You know, it's, it's pretty rare that what is happening here is actually able to happen in the body of Christ. That we have people from many different cultures coming together and becoming family. Most of the time, people want to hang with other people like them. Other people that are highly educated like they are. Other people that are from their same ethnicity, their, their same color, their same whatever, uh, their same tribe. And so what is happening here is obviously something that is very dear to the heart of God. And that is that people from different cultures are able to come together and become one. Become one body. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. It, it moves my heart every time I see the body of Christ coming together Because it's so powerful, what's going on. God is melting down those outward walls of division that have separated us, and he's making us one body. I love that. Um, I want to see more. Um, We are becoming a multicultural congregation, which is a glimpse of Jesus' heart for the nations. You know, when we stand before the Lord, it's going to be people from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue. And so we may as well begin to experience the joy of that here. You know, um, I don't want to just be stuck in one 
in the middle of one ethnic group. I already know about them. I want to know about others. I want to learn from people that are different from me. I want to experience every culture. I want to, I want to taste their food. I want to experience their culture, their traditions, what makes them powerful. Uh, and, and, and I think that's the heart of, of every true missionary is you really want to experience what God has done in other places that are different from us. And once we break out of, okay, let's, let's define what a religious spirit does. And maybe you've never heard it defined this way. But a religious spirit wants to keep you stuck in the narrow place that you're familiar with and not have you be open to anything outside of that. Nothing creative outside of your own tribal culture, your tradition, or what you're comfortable, what you're known. Uh, and so, and that could be anything. Uh, it could be if you're a musician. Well, I don't want to hang around anybody that's not a musician. Well, that's actually a religious stronghold. That you don't want to, to be exposed to the body of Christ beyond your own interest. Because we can learn from each other and each other's interests, and we can all grow in grace together. You know what I mean? And so it's very powerful and it's very important because there's, God is a creator, and he created us to be like him. And so it's important that we allow the creativity of the kingdom to be expressed to us from all over, from, from many different facets of life. In Christ, the old rules and limitations don't apply. You have a new identity, a new future, a new potential, even a new past that ends at the cross. Everything has become new. Your identity, your frame of reference, even your family. And that's why we need to be converted. Scripture talks about us being converted. Uh, think of a conversion table that converts things from standard measure to metric. That's what the word of God does for us when we come into the kingdom. We're born again. We go through a conversion process where the Holy Spirit renews our mind by the word of God and teaches us how to think kingdom instead of out of our old mindset, our old paradigms. And, and uh, so that's why we need to be converted and have our mind renewed. Verse 18 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus, through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So everything in your life now is an opportunity to find more intimacy with Jesus. I don't know how many of you uh, listened to the message Bill Johnson preached three days after his wife passed. Wow. Talk about a shift of perspective. Worshiping God in the midst of pain is something that you can only do in this life. You'll never again get to offer something to the Lord that costs that much except right here in this life. I just What conviction? Most people, you know, want to avoid and run from pain. And, and, and he's like, you know, the Lord just ministered to him that this is the only time during this life that he gets to offer an offering of worship to the Lord that is painful like that. And so he's not going to waste the opportunity. Mm. 
David said, God forbid that I would offer to him something that costs me nothing. That's what he's referring to. When we can worship him in the midst of pain, when we can worship him in the midst of our uh, being stretched and tested and, and place that would in the flesh make us miserable, but in, in the spirit, in Christ, it can actually be the most costly offering that we can bring to him. Wow. We, uh, we learn more reliance on him. We learn forgiveness at another level. Uh, how many of you know we need to learn forgiveness at another level sometimes? Verse 20 says, now then we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading with us or through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So as we become reconciled to God, we become an invitation from him for others to become reconciled. So your reconciliation to God becomes an open door for others. Being reconciled with God becomes synonymous with being reconciled to yourself. Let me see that say that again. Being reconciled with God becomes synonymous with being reconciled with yourself. Many people go through a life rejecting themselves, having an issue with themselves, not being at peace with themselves. I wish I was this way. I wish I was that way. What you're really saying is, God, you didn't do a good job when you made me. I wish you would have made me different. I wish I wouldn't have this flaw and I wish I wouldn't have this issue. I wish I was more like this person. What we're actually saying is, God, I don't think you did a good job when you made me. I wish you'd have made me different. And so becoming reconciled with the Lord actually is synonymous with becoming reconciled with yourself. Being able to look in the mirror and say, God, you did a good job. I'm awesome. You did a really good job. You know, I want to become more like Jesus all the days of my life, but... But I've, I've learned to love myself because God created me in his image and in his likeness. And so I'm not going to reject myself. I need to be reconciled with myself. Accepting the person God created you to be goes against the spirit of the age. That wants to convince you that God made a mistake when he created you. If you're a man, well, you really should have been a woman. If you're a girl, you really should have been a boy. You know, I was thinking the other day, uh, I think this president passed an executive order or signed an executive order making it illegal to do conversion therapy to try to con uh, turn people, convert people back to their original gender. And I'm like, you know, that's exactly what they're doing in our schools. We should use that law against educators that are trying to twist the minds of our school children and convince our girls they should have been boys and convince our boys they should have been girls. Education's a big deal, and it's becoming more and more of a burden on my heart that the church has to provide some answers for some of the perversion that's going on in our education system. I'm not okay with it. 
and, and we shouldn't be okay with it. This is why we have teenagers that, that hate themselves, want to hang themselves, and want to commit suicide. is because they're being taught that they were created without purpose and they're a mistake and they need to be something else. Instead of learning to uh, be at peace with who God created them to be and, and, and allowing the Lord to make them the best version of themselves that they can be. But it's the key to learning to love yourself and to allow the originality and the creativity of heaven to work through you. Your genuine self, redeemed through Christ's sacrifice, restored to the Father's house as a son or a daughter, is the most powerful version of yourself that you will ever be. It's the only version of yourself that God will occupy. He's not really good at occupying a counterfeit. When you bring a counterfeit of yourself to the cross, I think he doesn't know what to do with that. You need to bring a genuine version of yourself so that he can genuinely bring that old life to a death and resurrect a new life because he's got something authentic to work with. In other words, bring your authentic sinful self, your sinful identity to the cross so you can authentically be resurrected into an authentic new identity in Christ. And I think that's why a lot of people who come from religious backgrounds have such a hard time having an, an experience when, when they accept Christ. It's because they're not bringing the real version of themselves in the first place. You know, they put on a religious mask and bring that to the Lord. They're like, what am I supposed to do with that? That's what, I, that's what I think anyway. When I came, I was a mess. You know, and I, I wasn't pulling any punches. Lord, here I am. I don't know if, what you can do with me, but I'm done running. I've gone as far as I can go. And I'm not, I'm not going to run anymore. And he took what I gave him, which was a big mess. And he brought it to a death and into a resurrection of a newness of life. Your, your authentic self is the only version of you that heaven will ever come into agreement with. When you're no longer at odds with yourself, heaven comes into agreement and collaboration with you. Doors will open, divine appointments will happen, and heaven's values will begin to become your values. The key to success in this life is coming into harmony with heaven. Heaven already has a plan for invasion. You don't have to figure out how to do it. Heaven's already got, a, got the plan. When we come into our authentic identity, we become positioned to discover our role in heaven's strategic operation. So in Acts chapter 8, Philip the evangelist had an opportunity to engage in an operation that heaven was setting up. And I think it's just a really powerful glimpse at heaven and earth working together. An angel comes and speaks to Philip. What? And, I mean, and, and, and it just describes, it just lists... 
a commonplace occurrence. An angel came and talked to him. It was apparently not too unusual or too shocking. And they were able to have interactions with angels without getting spooky about it or worshiping them. It was just the way it is. In the kingdom, humans and angels interact and work together without it getting weird. We have a ways to go, right? Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And so today's equivalent, uh, why don't you go down and go to this back road down below New Bedford, down in the, down in the, the hills, down in the sticks. Nothing against New Bedford, but it's, it's down in the hills and the hollers, you know, backwoods country of Ohio. And uh, so he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So, so, so get this, here's this eunuch. He was the treasurer of Ethiopia. He was in charge of all the all the treasure, all the, the wealth of the nation, who just happened to be driving through the desert right at that time. Just happened to be, right? Not only that, but he just happened to be reading the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. Right at the time that the angel directed Philip to go take a walk in the desert. So Holy Spirit says, run over to that chariot and talk to him. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip gets invited to go join the eunuch and to explain the scriptures that the eunuch just happens to be reading right at that moment. Verse 32 said, the place in the scriptures which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For, all, for his life is taken from the earth. So, do you get the idea that God is really concerned about the salvation of souls? Right? You know, there's a there's actually a philosophy or a, a, a doctrine that has been taught in some of the extreme grace movement that says we really don't need redemption. We're really not lost in the first place. We just don't realize it. And I don't know about you, but that didn't work for me. I was lost. I knew it, and everybody who knew me knew it. And I needed a savior. And the only way that I was going to be redeemed, restored, was when I had an encounter with Jesus and was saved from my sin. Mm -hmm. 
But in this case, a man of great influence who could then use that influence to bring many others to Christ. Now, you know, the church uh, in our age has, has, has really focused on the poor. And that's a good thing. That's, uh, I, the poor is very impo- are very important. And Scripture says if, that when we give to the poor, we're lending to the Lord, and God always repays. And so the poor is, some, is something that the poor, poor are some, uh, a culture that, uh, a segment of our culture that we always need to remember. But if you'll notice, Paul the Apostle didn't go after the poor. You know who he went after? He went after leaders. Because he knew, and his goal was to eventually end up in front of Caesar, the emperor of the known world at that time the largest kingdom on earth, which was Rome. Because he knew that if he could get to Caesar, and if Caesar could have a born-again experience with Christ, all the millions of people that he would influence for the kingdom. And so, here again you see the heart of God when he sends Philip the evangelist to the treasure of the nation of Ethiopia because he wanted to uh, bring a man of influence into the nation. And that man of influence then can use that influence to impact many other lives. Possibly the most powerful thing that every one of you have is influence. And Jesus wants to use that influence for the kingdom. And maybe you haven't even been using that influence into the most powerful people that you know and have influence with because you're afraid of offending them or afraid that they'll reject you or whatever. The Lord really wants to awaken an evangelistic anointing in every one of us that we're willing to use the influence that he's given us to impact influential people that only we can, can access. Amen? I look back at my life and I'm like, you know, the Lord's brought some pretty influential people across my path. Have I used the influence that he gave me for the kingdom the most effective way that I could? And remember, if you're faithful in the little things, he'll make you a ruler over many things. He always promotes us when we use what he's given us effectively. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And now as they went down the road, they came to some water. Now get this, they're driving through the desert. And they just happen to come on a pool of water. Whatever. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was it. It didn't take a few months of instruction classes. He had the necessary ingredient right then, which was faith that Jesus is the Son of God. And so his baptism was into into Jesus. 
Philip shares Jesus to a hungry, seeking soul. The eyes of the Lord, remember, are always searching to and fro through the earth, searching for those whose hearts are perfect toward him. That really means searching for a hungry, seeking heart like this Ethiopian eunuch. The eyes of the Lord discovered him. The angel of the Lord was sent to commission Philip. Holy Spirit got into the action. And, and the, the gift of evangelism that was on Philip was fully animated. And other things began to flow. And divine appointment was set up. And, and, and all of this incredible heavenly operation produced a powerful, influential convert for the kingdom. When we're redeemed, we get new eyes. That we're able to see what he sees and respond to hearts that are open, seeking, and hungry. Here's the, here's the issue. Sometimes we have to stop seeing what we're seeing in order to see what God wants us to see. Sometimes we have to stop allowing what we see in the natural and what we're accustomed to focusing on becoming we have to stop allowing that to be our central focus and we've got to start seeing what the father's seeing remember jesus said i i do what i see the father doing and if you're if you're just focused on doing what comes next in your life what you've always been trained that responsible people have to focus on right talk about that in a little bit. But we need to respond to hearts that are open, seeking, and hungry. And it's not always convenient when that happens. I'm sure Philip had other things that he could be doing that day. You know, he could have went to work. He could have kept his appointments. He could have ministered to his family. He had a family, remember? He had... He had think three daughters that prophesied so obviously he had a wife he had a home to maintain but he was he was commissioned by the lord and he was willing to make his divine appointment the most important thing that day so the father had so arranged everything that there just happened to be a pool of water available right there in the desert phenomenal so he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. How do you like that? I imagine that eunuch had some things, some tales to tell when he got home, right? This guy appeared in the middle of the desert, revealed to me what the scripture in Isaiah's scroll was actually talking about led me to Jesus, baptized me, and disappeared. Maybe it was just a mirage, right? After all, I was in the desert, right? Listen, we're getting ready to engage in a season of the miraculous unlike anything that we've seen before. But it's going to take a collaboration with heaven unlike anything we've experienced before. When we engage in something heaven is doing, God will amaze us how thorough he is and how we don't have to figure everything out. You know, the Lord's given some of us gifts of administration, but we need to remember that God is the, the master uh, administrator. And he's already got an operation in place that we need to engage in 
that's going to blow our minds sometimes with the things that he has set up that he wants to use us to accomplish. Things that you think I could never, that you could never accomplish, but when you become a yielded vessel for the Holy Spirit to use, God can use you to do some of the most remarkable things that you've ever read about in the book of Acts. And I'm really being serious about that because I'm convinced that that the scripture is speaking about this day that we're living in when it says the glory of that latter house is going to be greater than the former. That all the things that we have seen and heard and read of in the past are going to converge on our generation and we're going to see all of those things happening big time in our life, in our generation, in our world, in our nation, in our families, in our culture, in our world. But we've got to be willing to be just be obedient when he speaks. Don't, don't talk yourself out of being obedient. Verse 40 says, But Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So when we, when we started planning this Fire in the Hills event, um, it was a divine moment. And just like Barb was talking about, the only thing she did was she took a step. And here came this whole army and wrapped around her and accomplished things that blew her mind. Uh, I took a step, and all of a sudden I felt that same way. There's, all of a sudden there's this huge army that gathered, and every one of them had a piece of everything that was needed to pull this event off. And I, I, I actually felt more like a spectator most of the time than on, on somebody who was actually doing any of the work. It was phenomenal. And all it required was a step of obedience. And, and, and those who participated in the planning uh, of the event, all of them said they'd never experienced anything like that before. We received a vision of connecting it to the birth of the Anabaptist movement in Switzerland 500 years ago. You know, when you connect to somebody's DNA, it'll touch them in the deepest part of who they are. We, we need to be interested in the people that God uses us with. Because we were able to connect it back to the birth of the Anabaptist movement, it touched something, it ignited something in the DNA that became the DNA of the event. And now it feels like it's that just not just an event, it's a movement that began. The Lord gave us the values that were to be the DNA of it. Lay down your competition, promote Jesus, his kingdom, and each other. Well, that's a big thing when you got a number of churches coming together. Usually they're pretty competitive. They want to make sure that somebody else doesn't get in front of them in the line. I mean, I hate to admit it, but that's the way churches traditionally kind of function. I know when I went, first went into full-time ministry, I was in Northern Virginia, and I started going to some pastor's events, and I became so sickened at what I saw that I really didn't even want to be around them anymore. Everyone was trying to elbow their way to the front of the line. Everybody wanted to meet somebody important. You know, and hobnob with well-known people. It's like a celebrity spirit in the body of Christ. And I got so disgusted with it that, that I avoided it as much as I could for years because I knew that wasn't Jesus. I didn't know much, but I knew that. You know? And so 
none of that was here. And I think, I think it was the first time any of us had ever experienced being a part of a movement that didn't have any of that in it from the beginning. And you could feel that in the DNA of the whole event. Don't try to get anyone to leave their church. That's not our job. That was another value we agreed on. It's not our job to tell people what church they should be going to. We're not the head of the church. Jesus is. That means he gets to tell. I believe that for in every born-again believer, there's a homing device that tells them when they're home. They don't need people telling them where they belong. They know deep inside of themselves, if they're a born-again believer, where home is when they go there. I've heard those testimonies over and over again. People walk into a place, they say, you know what? I just knew I was home when I walked in. We all have that knowing in us if we're free to exercise it. So rather, we let them receive what God has for them. Salvation, deliverance, Holy Spirit, and take it back to your own family, to your own church, and to your own community. You know, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. When the church, you know, really gets into a giving mode where we're not just trying to bring everything into our own group and, and, and get as many resources gathered together in one place, but we start focusing on giving and releasing and sending and pouring out and blessing the community and blessing the region. God will pour in more than we can give away because that's the way the kingdom works. Amen? So those values that we embrace caused us to become family, to become united, and to love each other in a new way. When, when, we, when we would gather together around these, uh, these planning meetings, it's like family was coming together. It was, it was amazing. And it could be felt through the whole event. <clears throat> so there's a grace that God wants to release to us at greater levels, coming into a synchronization with heaven. And here, here's, a, here's a big kicker for many of us. Submitting our chronos clock to heaven's kairos timing. Let me explain. There's two Greek words for time in the New Testament. There's chronos and there's kairos. Chronos refers to chronological time. Our, our schedules, our appointments, the things that come next, all those things that are planned out. Kairos refers to God's divine moments for us that are scheduled by heaven but aren't necessarily in our natural schedule. And how many of us miss the major kairos moments that God has for us because we're so rigid and inflexible with our, with our chronos time clock that if it's not on our schedule, we're not open to it. You know, Moses would have missed the opportunity of his life to engage in heaven's major assignment for him if he wouldn't have taken time to turn aside when that bush was on fire. There's, there's things that we miss because we're so driven by the clock in our Western mindset, you know, and, and it's so different from, from the culture of the Bible, and I think it was much easier for them to engage in these things because Jesus, you know, he, he would show up three days late sometimes, but he was right on time when he got there. Because he had a divine appointment and he was aligned with heaven's clock first before he was aligned to man's schedule. Does that make sense? And so 
I'm not saying throw away your schedule and don't do any planning. I'm, you know, I believe in planning. I believe in planning well. But we need to keep enough flexibility and an awareness that there's going to be divine moments that require us to pull aside uh, Joseph Garlington. Uh, you know, some of you know that we had a, he and I kind of had a, an encounter there the second night, which was a little uncomfortable for me. But, uh, but I talked to him after that, and he said, you know, the reason that I did that was, uh, he said, back in the 90s, I was down on the Gulf Coast, and uh, I was doing meetings, and something was happening. There, the, there was, it felt like revival was beginning to break out, and they invited me to stay. And he said, uh, but I had a schedule, and I had appointments. I had places I was supposed to be, and so I told him, I can't stay. I've got appointments. I've got a schedule. I've got to go. And he said, and right after I left, Brownsville revival broke out. And he said, I had a sense that what was beginning where I was actually broke out in Brownsville, which was close by. And I told the Lord, if I ever sense that again, I'm going to be willing to rearrange my schedule any way that I need to to be a part of it. And he said, I, that's what I sensed when I was in Walnut Creek, was that God's getting ready to do something here that I want to be a part of. One of, one of the things that would hurt me the most for me is if I miss something, a, a major move of God that I could have been a part of if I would have made room for it in my life. And the Lord knows that if you, if you cut my heart open to the deepest place, I would bleed revival because that's, that's what I'm wired for and that's what I've been hungry for for at least the past 30 years. Driven for that, a nose for that, hungry for that. Release from the rule of Kronos time is not a comfortable process. Especially when we're used to operating out of values that relate to a rigid schedule, the ability to plan everything out. But we're, we're getting ready to see a personal evangelism explosion as we start embracing some of these values in our outreach efforts. And uh, this morning, as we get ready to close, I just want to pray with all of us, uh, at least those of you who are willing to pray this prayer, that we would yield our schedules to the Holy Spirit, that we would be willing to be flexible when God puts something into our path, that we would be willing to adjust our appointments, our schedules, and all of that to make room for what God has assigned for our life. That we would not miss major Kairos moments when God really wants to use us and, and go look back in regret at what could have been, but we didn't make time for it in our life. This is something that I jotted down the other day. And I'm going to read it to you. And uh, I might comment on a little bit as I do. Jesus, the head of the body, and the head of all principalities and powers, works in union with Christ the body. So Jesus is the head, 
We're the body, right? If we're fitly joined together, if we're connected to Christ the head, the, the orders flow from the head. You know, my body does what my head tells it to do. So Jesus is the head. He's connected to the body, right? And so we're Christ the body. Moving, in, moving us in synchrony with the unseen realm to accomplish heaven's mission in the earth. God the Father has strategized, administered, and arranged global operations of his kingdom. Holy Spirit moves on our hearts and minds, as well as animating the right gifts at the right moments to meet the divine appointments arranged by heaven. Jesus directs the ministries, like the fivefold ministries of Ephesians 4. That's Jesus is, is, is the head of that. He directs the ministries of the church to the right places at the right times on the right assignments and directs the angelic forces to accomplish in the unseen realm what corresponds to our activities in the visible realm. Where such divine human collaboration exists, and all works together in unity of purpose and heart. God commands the blessing. There's, there's such a powerful revelation in that. In our current paradigm, we would call that revival. Psalm 133 gives a metaphorical glimpse of that reality. Where that unity exists, earth with heaven, us with each other, the body of Christ working together with each other, the body of Christ cooperating with the unseen realm, the body of Christ responding to Christ the head, the body of the Christ connecting to the global operations of the kingdom that God the Father is orchestrating. Where all of that come together, God commands the blessing, just like it says in Psalm 133. Listen, any church that teaches that Psalm 133, the unity of that, is just about unity in the local congregation has a very small, narrow vision. There's only one body of Christ. And when we come together with the global operations of the Spirit in the body of Christ, we start tapping into something major that heaven wants to accomplish. And it has no borders. And what begins here could end up in South America, in Africa, in Australia, in Asia. And it could end up anywhere because this is a global operation that we're engaging in. And that's the big picture perspective of a major harvest of souls that God has purposed in our generation to bring into his kingdom. We get to be a part of that. But we have to start where we are by saying, yes, Lord. I'm willing to submit my life and my schedule to heaven's appointments for me. And I want you to give me an ear to hear your voice. And I welcome any direction that you want to give me to accomplish that. Amen? How many of you want to pray that prayer with me? Let's do it. Let's stand. Father God, we're grateful for the opportunity 
to participate in something that heaven has been planning for a long time. For such a time as this, we have come into the kingdom. For such a time of this, we came onto this planet. For such a moment as this, you brought us together. And so, so today we're asking, Lord, that you would accept the commitment that we're making, the sacrifice that we're offering up of our time and our schedule. Because we don't want to look back and see where we could have been used in significant ways to bring major influential people into the kingdom or to influence them in ways that heaven has in mind for them. And we look back and we miss it because we weren't willing to submit to the schedule of heaven. And so we're submitting our schedules to you. We're asking for wisdom in how we can operate on heaven's time clock and still be faithful to all the responsibilities that you've given us to our families and to our community and to our world. And we know that your word tells us that when we need wisdom, all we have to do is ask and that you'll give it abundantly. And so we ask that you give us a sense and a knowing right now and that you would shift our inner clock, that there would be a shift that goes on in our inner clock right now that would align us primarily with Kairos moments, that that would become a greater reality and a greater priority in our life than anything that we schedule ourselves. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to use us to animate all the gifts of God within us, that you would open our ears to hear the voice of heaven speaking to us, whether it comes through Holy Spirit speaking to us uh, directly, through another human being, through angelic forces. However it comes, give us the ability to discern the voice of heaven speaking to us. And we invite you to use us to bring major influence for the kingdom of God into the realms of influence that you've given us. And as you find us faithful there, we ask that you would cause our faith to expand and to grow and to reach into other realms beyond ourselves. And there's people right now that, are, that you're actually ministering to and you're showing them places of influence that you want to use them. I ask, Lord, that you would allow their faith to be stirred up and strengthened and expanded so that they have all the faith that they need to step into their moments. They not do it on their time, but on your time clock. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint their words, anoint their voice, and that anything that they need to give them all the boldness that they need, Holy Spirit, you would cause the boldness that you brought on the day of Pentecost, that you would bring that boldness back on your people today. That people that have been quiet would find the, the roar within them, the voice within them, that we would find our voice 
that we would no longer be timid and hold back because of our own fears and our own, uh, our own inhibitions. But that you would let us live our life with conviction and holy boldness. That we would walk in revelation, life, and power. That you would give us eyes to see what the Father is doing. That we would not be stepping out presumptuously, but we'd be stepping out in faith because there's a clarity of Holy Spirit revelation that's coming to us. And there's divine communication lines that are being established right now with heaven. So that we would clearly hear the plans and purposes that you have for us on a, on a daily basis. And Lord, if there's times that come where we get a conviction that we're supposed to go a certain place and do a certain thing when we get there, or even if we don't know why we're going there, but we know that we need to go in obedience, we ask that faith would be there, that the provision would be there as we go. Thank you for that, Jesus. Father, we ask that you would raise up an army and that every one of us would find our place. That this army would function strategically. That this body would come together seamlessly. And that we would find and begin to march rank and file. And the enemy would begin to experience defeat after defeat in our region because this army is, is, is responding to the call to duty, call to action. We are reporting for service. I ask, Father, for a major shift in values in all of us. The things that we would have been tempted with yesterday would have no temptation over us today. Because you're aligning our priorities to where the things of the kingdom are more important than our own fleshly desires and temptations. Let those things be dust in the wind before us today in Jesus' name. Blow them away like chaff out of our lives in Jesus' name. Blow them out. Blow them out. Shake out of our foundations things of flesh things of corruption, things that are temporary, and let us stand on eternal foundations that will endure any storm that comes our way. Holy Spirit, would you come and just speak to your sons and your daughters? Any instructions? Any clarity? Would you remind them of anything that they need to remember that they blew off because they didn't know it was you? I'm hearing unfulfilled promises. That there are unfulfilled promises in some of our lives that the Holy Spirit is, is highlighting right now. Don't give up on those. They're still going to come to pass. You need to engage your faith and believe for those things. Thank you for that, Lord.